uh, memory verse uh, from Scripture. And uh, so you've got, uh, when you came in, you got a bulletin. There should be a card in that bulletin uh, for you to take home. Uh, it's just a little business. I had one here once upon a time. Business card size. Somebody hold it up. Do you have one? Did you, they really show? Awesome. And um, what we're going to do each Sunday is we're going to, before the message, we're going to stand up and we're going to recite it. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, we'll recite it together. Now, because this is the first Sunday, you'll get it on the screen twice. We'll be able to go through it twice. And then we'll pull it down off the screen and we'll try it with, uh, without it. And I encourage you to work on this with your kids. Uh, if you're married, your spouse, you can have kind of competition uh, in the home, see who memorizes it first. The kids are getting... Uh, they're getting copies in the Sunday school classes. Uh, teenagers are getting copies there. So this is going to be a fun time. All of these, each month we'll learn a new one. All of these are uh, about the gospel and so hopefully give you a greater and greater breadth of the scriptures um, uh, design of the gospel. And uh, first one we're going to learn today is one that at least some of you probably have memorized. So you kind of get a head start uh, for this. It's going to be John 14, 6. So I'm going to have them put it up on the screen right now. Would you stand up? And we're going to try. Uh, you might find that you can even memorize it just doing this, at least some of them. Now, they're not all going to be this brief, uh, this short, uh, but the first one out should be um, easy for at least some of us. And now here's the plan. What we're going to do is we're going to say the reference. So we go John 14, 6, and then we'll say the verse, and then we'll repeat the reference. Uh, old navigator's trick to kind of help drill the reference down into your heart a little bit more. So you ready? We're going to do it twice, and then we'll take it off the screen and see if we can blunder through without it on the screen. All right. G uh, John. <laughs> Ready? John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. All right. That really sounded good. Your reading skills are amazing. Here we go. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Take it off. John 14, 6. I heard a couple of you. All right, let's try it. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You guys are awesome. Give yourselves a hand. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. So that's what we're going to do each Sunday. And... Uh, See, it doesn't sound like uh, you have a lot of work to do between now and then. We're using the New Living Translation, which is what I preach from, and it's a very easy translation. You might find um, struggles <laughs> like I do. Um, years ago, I did a lot of memory work, and it was all done in the NIV. Uh, actually, earlier days was done in the New American Standard Version. So now I have all these jumbled up versions in my head, and that's kind of a challenge. Um, but one of the things that I like about the NLT is that it write, it's written in a way that we speak. Um, some of the versions I've memorized out of are a little more uh, convoluted, and so hopefully this will help you uh, get them deep into your, into your soul as well. Uh, if you want to get your Bible out a while and find the book of John, we will be starting there this morning, John uh, chapter 17. And I want to pray for us before we uh, begin our message time. 
uh, for we need your help, Lord. I am so desperate to have you speak to us and not me speak to us. And so I pray for the Holy Spirit as we open the word this morning and as we talk together um, that he would be the one who makes your mark on our lives, and our hearts, and our minds. You would bind the enemy, silence him this morning. Um, <clears throat> I, I pray for um, my heart and the, the holes in it when it comes to what we're going to talk about this morning, that you would do a work of grace in me, that, that my heart would more and more mirror yours, that the things that concern me would more and more reflect the things that concern you, uh, that the breadth of my eyesight would be similar to the breadth of yours, and I pray that for my brothers and sisters as well. And for those who um, aren't Christians as they listen in, I pray that they would uh, come uh, to realize that sometimes we who name the name of Christ are not the best reflections of um, almighty God and so that as we talk they might hear um, a bit better understanding of the magnitude of your love uh, for your world we pray in Jesus name amen so how big is your world and more to the point is your world as big as God's world now, there are 7.4 billion people in the world, about 7,000 languages currently uh, operative, and uh, between 11,000 and 24,000 people groups, depending on how you divide them, whether by ethnicity or language or religion or combination. Can you believe this? A third of those people, 7.4 billion people, a third of them do not have sanitation. Do you know there are more people in the world who have a cell phone than have a toilet? In, in the, the world, the idea that I'm going to have, um, get pregnant, and not me, uh, but a woman's going to get pregnant and have a baby and have that child live, I, we just assume it. In America, out of every 1,000 births, only six don't make it to one-year-old their first birthday. In Afghanistan, that's 115 children out of 1,000 don't make it to their first birthday. In Mali, in Western Africa, 102 children don't make it to their first birthday out of 1,000. 760 million people around the world don't have access to clean drinking water. You and I go to the tap. We might have a purifier on there. We might not need it. But we drink what we never think about our water may make us sick. And yet almost a billion people around the world, that's a regular, ongoing concern that they have. Just a year before last, there were millions of new cases of HIV in the world. Almost half of them occurred in one major part of the world, Eastern and Southern Africa. There are about two billion people, so almost a third of the world's population, who've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel in a language and a way that they could understand it. 
And out of the some 2.1 billion people in the world who call themselves Christians, 100 million of them face persecution. It may be when they come up out of the waters of baptism. It may be when word gets around the village. They lose their job or possibly lose their job. They may get kicked out of their family. They may get kicked out of their village. Um, they may not get certain government papers that everyone else gets. They may not have access to health care. They, um, they may be imprisoned. Uh, they may even be killed, and sometimes that danger comes from their own family members. A hundred million of our brothers and sisters. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, oh, this is going to be one of those mission sermons. Yeah, but it's more than that. How big is your world? Is it as, as, it, is it as big as the one that God loves? The title of my message this morning is Global Love. Now, you think about this. When the Bible says, John 3.16, a, a passage that many of you who know Christ know. It says, God so loved, and then the next word is not Paradise, Pennsylvania, it's not Pennsylvania. It's not the United States of America. It is God so loved the world. John chapter 17, verse 13. Jesus had an extended conversation with his disciples right before uh, he went to the cross, and then he had an extended conversation with his father. Long prayer. We typically call the high priestly prayer. And Jesus was in that prayer. He was praying for his disciples. He prayed for us. I love when I read that, that Jesus 2,000 years ago was praying for me. And if you're a Christian, he's praying for you. Those who would believe in the word that the, his disciples, his apostles were going to carry. And in that conversation, he talked about, uh, with his father, he talked about his disciples. Um, he doesn't want to take them out of the world. They're not of the world, but he doesn't want to take them out of the world. He wants them to be kept safe in the world. And then he goes on to say this in verse 18. Just as you sent me, again he's talking to the Father, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And so Jesus is saying, I, I'm going to send these disciples out into the world on a mission for me. Now, those disciples, those first 12 apostles, they died off. Do you think that Jesus intended for the next generation and the following generation and the following generation to continue what Jesus started? Jesus said, Father sends me. Now I'm sending the disciples. Jesus was the first runner in a relay race, passed off the baton to Peter, James, and John and the others, and then he, who passed it off to us. Just as you sent me, I am sending you. To do what? Let me take you now back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I think this helps us at least give us an image of what God is interested in. Verse 14, Jesus said, and he's speaking to his disciples here, or people that want to follow him, you are the light of the world. You are the light of a world, like, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I think that's 
more than just mission. You think about Jesus when he was here on earth. Jesus came and he was preaching here, there, and everywhere, right? Preaching left and right, preaching the, um, the message of the kingdom of God. And yet what else was he doing? There's someone who's been bleeding for 18 years. Jesus heals her. Here's a child who's died. Who's died. Jesus raises her from the dead. Here's a group of people who are sitting around at a, a conference that Jesus is having. They're, there's no, they're out in the wilderness. There's no 10-11s. What's it called? 7-11. There we go. Knew it was two numbers. There's no 7-11s around. There's no Arby's around. And so Jesus gives them food. Jesus sees people who are demonized. He casts demons out of them. Do you see what I'm saying? God's love for the world is beyond just the gospel. And so when people go to, to minister in, in faraway places, they take with them medical capabilities and, and drugs. They, uh, they uh, have planes that can uh, medevac people out of jungle areas. Um, they, they help teach them how to handle food so that they're not contaminating it. They, they drill wells. They, they do all kinds of very practical things because they know God loves the world. In fact, it's interesting. People who've been in the mission field, typically when they come back to the U.S., have a, a breadth of love for all kinds of people that maybe we don't have. And I think it's rooted in the fact that when they're far off, they begin to grasp how vast this love that God has for his world really is. And they want to emulate it. Now, part of the reason that I'm saying it's not just mission is because the vast majority of you and I will never buy a plane ticket to go somewhere that we stay for 20 years. Vast majority. It's been that way from the beginning. How many disciples did Jesus pick? What? Twelve. Okay. On the day of Pentecost, or in the immediate days after Jesus went back to heaven, how many Christians were there? How many followers of Jesus were there? It's not a trick question. It's in the Bible. Um, that was on the day of Pentecost, but this would have been before Pentecost. So 3,000 came to Christ on that day. Anybody know? All right, let's back up. And how many disciples again? Take 12 times 10. 120. 120 Christians. Isn't that interesting? Because those 12, minus Judas plus Matthias, and then plus Paul and maybe Silas and Barnabas were considered... Um, they were called now not just disciples, but apostles, those sent with special authority. And the apostles became the missionaries, the first missionaries and the first church planters. So 12, 15 of them. Only 10% of the original band became the missionaries. The rest stayed home. And as Keith said, 3,000 came to Christ shortly after that, and so the number's growing, and then, then we see 5,000 coming to Christ. Vast majority of them stayed home. And yet there, we have evidences from the Scripture of, of significant engagement in the world 
from those who were still at home. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you some things from Scripture that um, try to make my argument that the early church, the first century church, the beginning church right after Jesus went back into heaven, had a grasp on the global love that God had for his world and wanted to emulate it. And I want to give a, a couple of things that might help take our pulse as to whether or not we really have a global love and then some practical ways to help, to help develop it. So we're going to look at a number of scriptures. I'll just refer to some. Others we'll actually look at. Um, I want to talk about sending missionaries first. Um, we won't look at this scripture. Acts chapter 13, verse 3, is the first intentional non-Jewish mission venture. You get all that? And what I mean by intentional is there was a mission push earlier in Acts, I think it's chapter 8, where people were telling everybody about Jesus, but they were forced into this mission. They were persecuted so badly that they scattered away from Jerusalem and it says all those who were scattered told people about Jesus everywhere they went. So we have some of that going on. But Acts 13, we see the first kind of formal, organized uh, missionaries sent out by a Gentile church in Antioch. And the Bible says that, that uh, they were praying and fasting. The leaders of the church were praying and fasting. And during this season of prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to send um, Paul and Barnabas out on this mission. And so they prayed over them, and they sent them out. Now, they commissioned them and said, we want you to go out. And really, they were representing the church. Not everybody in the church could go. So they were going out representing the church and the church's global love by virtue of their church planning efforts. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but I think it's fair to assume that the church did take an offering. They did gather funds together to give to Paul and Barnabas to go out on this, this mission. Um, certainly Paul was a tent maker and he sometimes worked uh, to pay his own way but I'm, I'm assuming the church early on um, gave to them to help them get started uh, along the way so sending out missionaries was foundational in reflecting their global love now let me take you to Romans chapter 15 and show you something because you hear me talk from time to time and it's a big emphasis of our mission leadership team about unreached people groups. In other words, the folks in the world who really have not had exposure to the gospel, uh, the people where the missionaries aren't serving or there's hardly any missionaries there, and nobody in their tribe, in their ethnic group, in their language group uh, knows the gospel, or at least there's not enough people there to establish a church and really um, kind of make the gospel soar in their, in their group. And this is a long-held um, Position goes back to the early church. This is what Paul says in Romans 15, beginning verse 20. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. Now, just for our thinking purposes about global love, get a load of this. Of the 55 least evangelized groups in the world, most unreached, 97% of the people of those groups live within what we call the 1040 window, the 10th latitude north and the 40th latitude down here. So it starts at West Africa and goes over to China, Japan. 
So it covers all of North Africa, all the Middle East, a big swath of India, uh, China, Indonesia, which is where the largest percentage of the world's um, either animists or Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims live. So the vast majority of the unreached people live there. 97% of them live in that area. Guess how much of our uh, mission force is working in that 1040 window? 10%. 10% of all of the missionaries in the world are, well, let's put it this way. 90% of all the missionaries in the world are not working where the greatest need is. And some of that's because of conditions in the ground. I mean, as, as you can't walk into Saudi Arabia and, and put on your visa, I'm going to be a missionary. You, you can't do that. But perhaps some of it is, is, do we really grasp that God is not a regional God, but he's a global God? He has a passion for all these people, even those that live in the 1040 window. And so the, the early church seemed to, I'm, I'm assuming they, since Paul planted many of these churches, that the early church got a grasp on the importance of reaching unreached people. We had an interesting conversation um, on Thursday night with our mission team. One of our uh, missionary couples is home right now. Uh, they serve in Japan. And they said, it's interesting, uh, J- Japanese is a very um, non-Christian area. Only 1% of the Japanese people know Christ. And they, they told us that the Japanese churches that are established don't seem to have a mission um, outreach mentality. Um, they want to keep away from the people that need Jesus. They want to keep away from the sinners. And how tragic that is. And, and I'm thinking, how did those churches get started? They certainly didn't have a Paul's mindset about the importance of reaching the people that need Jesus. Didn't have an idea that we need to... Uh, you know, insulate ourselves from those people that desperately need Jesus. So this early church sent out missionaries, and they were especially focused on the areas where people hadn't already heard the gospel. Second, they prayed. Oh, you know, we don't need to go anywhere, right, to pray. They prayed. number of things that they were praying for, uh, you don't need to turn here, but let me read Ephesians 6.19. When uh, Paul asked, the people he was writing to to pray for them, he asked them this. Pray for me. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. He realizes it's not enough for him just to tell people about Jesus. There has to be spiritual muscle behind that effort. So they prayed for the success of mission work. They prayed for Christians around the world. Verse 18, same chapter, Paul tells these Christians, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. In other words, we don't need to know people in other parts of the world who know Christ in order to pray for them. Pray for these other Christians. And some of them are persecuted. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verse three says, remember those in prison. He's speaking specifically about persecuted Christians remember those in prison as if you were there yourself remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own body so a variety of ways that their prayers in the early church were going out persecuted Christians Christians in general and success of the mission Uh, they also helped other Christians that were in need 
And for sake of time, I'm going to skip this passage. But Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 27, Paul took a gift that was given by people in Macedonia for the Christians in Jerusalem who were poor and needed help. And so he took an offering and, and in a very tangible way uh, expressed their global love uh, that way for other believers. Um, one other thing that we see in the early church, and I think this is so foundational, we're going to get into this more next week, and that's this idea that our love is, is, extends to people that maybe we're not comfortable with or maybe are quite different from us and maybe we don't even like. And we see the apostle Peter in the early days after Jesus went back into heaven and he's preaching and people are getting saved and so forth. But up to this point, it's a, it's a, Christianity is a Jewish deal only. And then God lets a sheet down from heaven full of critters three times. And in all these animals are unclean animals, animals that the law of Moses says you can't eat. And he hears this voice from heaven, Peter. And Peter was hungry at the time. It would have been a great time for a snack. Um, this voice says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter goes, absolutely not. You think I'm going to eat a crocodile? No way. You think I'm going to eat a camel? No. And it wasn't that he was adverse to killing the animals. Everybody in those days knew how to kill an animal. That's the way you ate. So that wasn't the problem. But these were no-nos for him spiritually. He felt, he believed, and he had it in Scripture that it would defile him. And each time he said, no, I've never eaten anything impure, the voice from heaven said, don't you call impure anything I've called pure. Three times that voice said that. And then right after this vision, all of a sudden, some Gentile servants of a Roman soldier show up at Peter's door, and they say, we'd like you to come and talk to our our master. Now, prior to that vision, Peter would have gone, you want me to do what? He's a Gentile. You're a Gentile. I don't have anything to do with Gentiles. But because of what he had just experienced, he said to those servants, I'll go with you because God has shown me that I can't call anyone, anyone. Now he's shifted from anything to anyone impure that God has called pure. And all of a sudden, the Gentile mission was off and running because God had showed a man how wrong he was. It wasn't like he was doing wrong in obeying um, what the law of Moses had said, but everything had changed. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I did come to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it, and I, now I've fulfilled it. I've been the perfect Jew. I've lived a perfect Jewish life. I've been, lived a perfect moral life. And I went to the cross not only to deal with all of your sins, but I, can't. I, I went to the cross to make sure that we had the end to the ceremonial stuff that was simply pointing to me. And by the way, I think this is huge for us in developing a global love, uh, developing a love for people that are different from us, developing a love for people that don't like us. Developing a love for, for people who, who hold different values than we do. And we see this in the early church taking place. Now, I'm going to have him throw up on the screen just a couple of uh, statements that people sometimes make. And they might be examples of ways that we can uh, determine whether or not we really are developing a global love or do we have uh, hands out toward 
the kind of global love that God has for us. Here's one very common. I, I, I've heard this many times in the church. There's plenty of mission work to be done in the U.S. Is anything false about that statement? Nope. But can you hear something in the wings behind that statement? It sounds suspiciously like, therefore, we don't need to go overseas. We don't need to go to unreached people. Remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, you go, he says, I, I, the gospel's going to be shared in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And Jesus did not say that, meaning it, once everybody in Jerusalem is saved, then you can move on. The mission was we do all four. We, we hit Jerusalem while we're hitting Judea, while we're hitting Samaria, while we're hitting the ends of the earth. And you hear me encourage you to pick a missionary out there and support them and start communicating with them, even if it's five, ten bucks a month. You might say, well, I, I let that up to you. I give my 10% of the church, that, that, that's your job. Yeah, but you don't, you don't get up close and personal with the work that's being done then around the world and, and begin to pray for the missionaries, those specific missionaries and their success, and, and begin to, to pray for God opening blinded eyes and so forth, which we know is really nuts and bolts of mission work is God has to strip away blinders from their eyes. Why would I pray for the salvation of people I don't know? Um, it's wrong to smuggle Bibles into countries if it's against the law. I um, had a lot of conversations like this when I was on a Bible smuggling trip uh, 16 years ago now. Why, why do we start with the laws of man instead of the laws of God? Acts chapter 5, we ought to obey God rather than man. It, I'm just saying these can be things that reflect um, we're not sure that we really have the kind of global love that God does. Maybe Christians need to be less vocal about their faith, that they're being persecuted. Maybe they should just be quiet and they won't draw the wrath of the authorities. That's usually true. In many countries, it's okay if you are a Christian as long as you don't spread it, as long as you don't try to win other people to Christ. I don't know why people don't go back where they came from. Some of the sentiment about refugees and immigrants that we're hearing more and more in our culture, and tragically, we're hearing it in the church as well. I don't want my kids playing with their kids. They have HIV. It's their own fault. Let me give you a couple of suggestions, and I need to wrap up here, for developing our global love. And by the way, you don't really need to leave home for most of these things, but I suspect that as God develops a global love in your heart more and more and more, you sooner or later will leave, leave home. So let me give you five or four things. All, all of them have an E word in to help us remember. And you don't, um, if you don't want to write these down but you'd like to know them, uh, they are on the sermon notes out there. And if you didn't get a copy, you can grab one uh, on that little table between the double doors in the lobby before you leave. Um, first of all, echoing God's global love. Echoing God's global love. And what I mean by that is simply praying for it. Um, one of the things that I think we miss sometimes, whether it's wrestling with sin or areas where we believe God wants us to grow in our heart, is we try to do so many things and forget that God is more invested in us than we are in terms of changing us. And just praying, say, God, I, I really don't care about the world too much. I, I like my life here. I like my school, my community, my workplace, my neighborhood, my family. I don't really have a 
my world's not very big, so would you help enlarge uh, the borders of my worldview? Echoing God's global love just by praying for it. Second, getting enlightened about God's heart for the, for the world. That comes from the word. Me, um, I'd even suggest this. I think most of you know I'm a highlighter in my Bible. I'm a big fan of you using your Bible as a tool rather than a museum piece. So get a highlighter out, get an underliner, get a pen out, you, you use it. And, and here would be an interesting um, adventure. Buy, a, buy an inexpensive paperback copy of a Bible, you know, three, four, five bucks, and get a highlighter or a pen and just read through the entire scripture and highlight everything that suggests to you that God has a, a global love. And then when you're all done, just page back through it and see all the color and see all the underlines. I, I, I guarantee you it will be impactful. Uh, educate yourself about God's world. Educate yourself about God's world. Just follow the news. Um, things happen, disasters in the world. Pray for those people. You don't have to know people's names. You don't have to know the name of the town. Just pray for them. Say, God, help them. I don't even know what they need, but provide what they need for them. Um, read books, magazines, articles, watch videos about other places or people. Uh, one of the things that's been really cool, um, more and more mission organizations are seeing the value of good videography. And uh, increasingly, they have videographers on staff, and there's some excellent quality videos out there that mission organizations have on their websites. Or you can just Google um, on YouTube. Just Google you know, a particular place in the world you might be interested in. you probably find videos on, on people groups there. I found that very... Um, inspiring in my own development of, of global love. Learning about world conditions. Uh, sometimes you do that on vacation. You find out what it's like to live other places in the world. Or you read uh, the kinds of things, the statistics I shared with you at the outset. Learning about the, the needs of the world. Reading mission biographies is a great way to develop your global love. We have a good assortment in our church library downstairs, uh, not only for adults, but also both for children and for teens. Um, here's one that'll surprise you. Join the military. I'll speak more about this in just a minute. Um, persecution, get information on the persecuted church. Um, last night, I put up on the church's Facebook page um, four different websites that you can go to to get information about what's uh, taking place around the world with uh, believers who live in places where it's dangerous to be a Christian. And then the last one, so we have echo, echoing God's global love, getting enlightened about it, um, educating ourselves about God's word, and then lastly, engaging. Um, so again, I encourage you to fund and uh, communicate with a missionary. Two, go on a short-term mission trip. Um, we have a lot of people at Keystone who have done that over the years. In fact, we have a, um, Dave Ulrich and Brandon Stike are leaving this Thursday for Guinea, West Africa. Going to be there almost two weeks. Uh, help disciple a, a small group of believers that has begun with a, a core group of people that have been going over there. I forget if this is Dave's second or third time. It's Brandon's fourth time, I think. And there's about 40 believers in a, uh, in a culture that was Islamic slash animist, kind of a folk, folk kind of Islam. And you, you just can't come back from those kinds of trips without having been deeply affected. Third, adopt and pray for a people group. Adopt and pray for a people group. Uh, joshuaproject.net, joshuaproject.net 
is the greatest source of people group. Um, it's a Christian organization that maps people groups. And uh, in fact, if you go onto our website, keystonechurch.org, you'll see in the bottom right-hand corner of the homepage, every day there's a new people group. Uh, we get a feed from joshuaproject.net of the um, unreached people group of the day. There's a picture of someone from that people group. There's a few details there. You can make that part of your morning uh, fellowship with the Lord, just briefly praying for that particular group. Um, Betty and I adopted a people group about five, six years ago uh, from Morocco. And uh, Lord willing, this year, maybe next, um, hoping this year yet, we're, we're going to go to Greece on a, a vacation that we've been planning for quite a number of years. And at the end of that trip, we're flying to Morocco to try to meet some of the people in this people group that we have been uh, praying for. Four, befriend someone from a different culture uh, or someone who's an immigrant or a refugee. Um, as you know, we have uh, Rachel Bunchetti and her family that uh, we've sponsored through Church World Services, came to us from Democratic uh, Republic of Congo, and her family is four-fifths here now. Uh, but that was about, uh, I can't remember, it was three or four years ago by now that we started with her. Um, it's time to do that again. And so kind of in conjunction with our mission conference in April, um, we want to put a team together that's going to help care for and resettle uh, another refugee family. And so maybe that's something that you want to put on your radar to be, to be part of. You'll hear more about that in the future. Uh, a couple of other things, just exposing yourself to more and more. Wow, I didn't put that well. Um, <laughs> getting some more information about God's global uh, heart for the world. And I have two suggestions, practical suggestions. Uh, one is the Perspectives course. Uh, Perspectives is a, a course that Betty and I took uh, five, six years ago. It was incredibly impactful in our lives. It's run every January for four months at Lancaster Bible College and every August at Calvary Church for four months. And uh, I actually have, uh, it starts this Tuesday night. I have some brochures out at the um, information center if you'd like to even pick up and think about it for in the future. And I have a standing offer. I've shared this before. I have a standing offer. Anybody who wants to take this, um, whether for certificate course or undergraduate or even graduate credit, you can do that. It costs more for each level. But if you want to take it, I will pay $100 of your cost. I'm that invested in it. I just think it's that amazing. It was literally transforming for Betty and I. Um, we've, had, we've seen career missionaries take it after being on the mission field for 10 years and saying, why didn't I have this before I ever went to the mission field? You don't ever need to go to the mission field to benefit from it. This will give you more and more of God's global love for the world. And uh, for young people, coming up on February 18th, there is an Ignite Mission Conference, junior hires, senior hires, um, 9 to 8 p.m. at Lancaster Bible College. And I'm uh, hoping to take a group of senior hires there. So if you have some interest in that uh, talk to me. Be interested in seeing you go there. Uh, I need to wrap up. Okay, back to the military question. At the end of World War II, something amazing happened. From 1945, the end of the war, until 1950, 150 new mission agencies sprang up. Can you think why? 
World War II was one of the most horrific events that ever happened to our planet. They still don't really know for sure, but the official estimates are 15 million dead from combat, 45 million dead civilian casualties, 60 million dead. It's quite possible there were 50 million civilian casualties in China alone. Well, let's just stick with 60. 60 million. 1940, that was about 3% of the world's population wiped out in the next five years. Something awful. But as is God's habit, he often takes awful things and turns them into good things. And what happened was GIs who were Christians before they went and served or who got saved while they were in the military came back from their years of service, they would never be the same. And many of them turned around and they went back to the Philippines, they went back to Burma, they went back to Japan, they went back to, well, not China, but places they could go to and share the love of Christ. In fact, some of those mission agencies were now non, um, not just taking the gospel and the scriptures, but uh, involved planes and radios and, and mercy works and so forth because there were many skills like that. Ralph Winter, who's... Uh, probably was the greatest missiologist who ever lived, he's gone to be with the Lord now, says that World War II was perhaps the greatest surge in mission awareness even beyond the student volunteer movement half a century earlier. Perhaps the greatest surge in mission awareness. The only reason I tell you that story is to, tell you, is, is to remind us that exposure has incredible power. Exposure has incredible power. In other words, if we keep ourselves limited to our small worlds, we're never going to see and get God's global heart. But if we take the risk, whether it involves befriending other people, whether it involves going other places, whether it involves um, going on vacation, not just to have a blast, but to hear God's heart, it can have tremendous impacts for us. And so I, I hope that in the next 10 years that we see increasingly a greater and greater global heart at Keystone for the world. Population's not going to dwindle. It's going to only surge, which means only more and more people that need Jesus, more and more people that need clean water, more and more people that need medical care with HIV and other problems, medical problems, more and more people who need help that can be provided by in an a unique way by the people who love the God who sent them to the world. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for Jesus. He's not only our hope, he's the world's hope. Um, we're grateful that for the heart that you have for the world and ask that you would infect us with that same heart as well. Give us courage when we're fearful, um, Give us brokenness when we're hateful. Um, give us time when we're so absorbed with other things that we may get just a little bit greater appreciation for the love that you have for the world. In Jesus' name.